Good morning. We're halfway through a series on the will of God from Romans chapter 12. In that chapter, Paul leaves orthodoxy, straight thinking, and enters orthopraxy, straight acting. Right thinking and believing gives way to right acting and behaving. And Paul focuses on the will of God, and we will learn this morning that we experience the will of God at the intersection of gifts and love. At the intersection of gifts and love, we experience the will of God. Um, After introducing the subject of the will of God, Paul moves into a section on spiritual gifts. Paul, Mark talked about that last week. God gives his children diverse capacities to serve others. Experiencing God's will involves the stewardship of these abilities. The the abilities that we're given are not for us. They're for us to steward and to invest in the lives of other people. Um, Right on the heels of a discussion of spiritual gifts, Paul takes a turn that we see oftentimes in the Bible. Gifts give way to love. What it says, Romans 12 Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. When it says love must be sincere, Literally, that word sincere, it's, it's important. It's not hypocritical. Not hypocritical. Let love be without hypocrisy. Um, or let your love have integrity. Integrity. Integrity is internal consistency. When what inside and what is outside match, you've got integrity. And so let love have integrity. The inside matches the outside, lack of hypocrisy. And in the context, it seems to be suggesting, don't say you love someone and not show it in serving them. That would be hypocritical, according to the Bible, to say something with the mouth, but not back it up with the hands. And biblically, love flows not through the mouth only, but flows through the hands. It's practical. It's application-oriented. It's stuff you can see. Um, John writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And in the context of Romans chapter 12, when it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, spiritual gifts are in view, because that's what he's just been talking. The nice thing when you do a series going through a book of the Bible or a chapter is that the things that are next to one another belong together. This subject on spiritual gifts is not to be left behind. It's not that he leaves that and now talks about love as if those two are disconnected. They're not disconnected. They are connected. And what he said in the prior passage, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. 
Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And the con- in the context, the things that are evil and the things that are good are not necessarily the things that we think of. When we think of evil, we think of private morality. That's evil. The things that are done in secret. Immorality. That's evil to us. And that is evil in the Bible. But when the Bible points its finger at evil, oftentimes it's about public morality, not private alone. It's not the stuff that you do alone. It's the stuff that you fail to do with others. And in the context, stewarding the gift, having a capacity, sitting on it, burying it, is what the Bible would describe as an evil. These gifts were given to us, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. And when it says, let love be without hypocrisy, don't say it and don't show it. That's the point of the passage. Um, Public morality, not just private, this is what the nation of Israel was rebuked for. If you look in the mind of prophets in the Old Testament, they get hammered because of a number of things. But oftentimes they bypass the needs of the poor and the oppressed. They don't serve God by not serving others. They allow people to be destitute, poor, afflicted. In fact, um, certainly you know about Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were real issues with sexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah. Interestingly enough, in Ezekiel, he targets the sin of Sodom. Listen what it says. Ezekiel chapter 16, 49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Isn't that interesting? Let me read it again. Now, this was the sin of Sodom. Oh, we know what the sin of Sodom was. (laughs) Um, She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. In fact, I wonder what came first. Not helping the poor and needy led to sexual excess? Sexual excess led to not helping the poor and needy. What do you think? I bet you it was not helping the poor and needy led to having to fill your time with other things. Um, In our culture, the pursuit of happiness has been privatized really for about 50 or 60, 70 years. The pursuit of happiness is what is good for me and my 2.5 kids. Hasn't always been that way. Tom Brokaw wrote in the book, The Greatest Generation, that those pre-World War II generation, the pursuit of happiness was more corporate. It's not the pursuit of happiness for me and my 2.5, but he says in The Greatest Generation that the people, when they pursued goodness, it was good for the common good, not just for the private good. Um, This was true when our founding fathers penned the words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It wasn't private. It was public. It was something that you embraced, even at cost, when you had to sacrifice things for the common good. That's the pursuit of happiness. Uh, True with respect to those whose writings are included in the Bible. In the Bible, love is a verb. It's not a noun. 
It's not something that you fall into and fall out of. It's not an emotion that rises and wanes. In the Bible, love is not primarily emotional. It might have emotion. And the reason why we know that is Jesus said, love your enemies. And I don't think he's saying there, have nice feelings about your enemies. I don't think that's practical. I don't think that works. It can be take care of your enemy if he's in need of some basic thing, shelter, food, drink, protection, that you don't, because of your enmity, fail to do what you can towards him. It might not mean running up and hugging him because that's, well, hypocritical. And let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. You can serve other people even if you don't feel like it. By the Bible, love is not primarily something that you feel. To say that you love and fail to show it is the hypocrisy that is warned about in this passage. We find the same warnings elsewhere. John writes about them often. This is how we know what love is, he says in 1 John 3. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Now, he can say, be well fed, I love you. Biblically, though, if there's something that you can do, that's hypocritical. It's hypocritical love that doesn't show itself. In Romans 12, we find gifts and love closely connected. But this isn't the only place where gifts and love intersect a very, uh, one of this, this passage, you've heard about this. I'm going to read it. You've heard this a number of times. If you've ever gone to a wedding, chances are you've heard this passage at a wedding. Interestingly enough, when you hear it, it is originally penned not for marriage, but for the church. It's not talking about marital relationships. It's talking about using spiritual gifts. You listen. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, 1 Corinthians 13, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right on the heels of spiritual gifts, this is not gifts and then love. These two are sandwiched together for a reason. The will of God intersects at the juncture of gifts and love. Find the same thing here that we found in Romans. It goes on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The problem in Corinth was people were using their gifts, but they were impatient in doing so. Unkind. Their usage of gifts was envious, boastful, 
proud, rude, self-seeking, easily angered, keeping track of wrongs, delighting in evil, not rejoicing with the truth. Paul's point is that when gift usage is disconnected from love, you're not going to hear the applause of heaven. When gift usage is disconnected from love, you don't get the applause of heaven because the will of God is for gifts and love to intersect. When you find one, you find the other. That's Paul's point when he talks about if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He talks about the gift of tongues that existed, exist in some form, but have not love. If I have the gift of prophecy, which is a gift, can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. I have the gift of faith, that's faith that moves mountains, that's a gift. If I give all I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, all these things are gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts in this context. If I do all these things, but there's no intersection, there's no love, then I could go over to that drum and find a really obnoxious sound and just continue to bing, 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 vexing. Gifts without love is vexing. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal. Gain nothing. Um, do you know what spiritual gifts are, by the way? Way to think about them? Love languages. That's what spiritual gifts are. Love languages. There's a book, The Five Love Languages, and it's written by, I forget who it was. I probably should have found that out. Um, he talks about the fact that there are five love languages, and he's talking about interpersonal relationships. There's words, touch, gifts, time, and service, the way we both speak and understand love. Words, some of us, when we want to tell somebody we love them, we speak it, and we want to hear it. Others of us, words aren't as much as touch is. Touch is communicative to us. For some others of us, time is. If somebody loves us and if we love, we spend quantities of time. Some of us, it's gifts. Somebody's away and they think about love and they buy the perfect card and they give the perfect gift because that's how they communicate love and some receive love like that. And there is um, service. Some of it's doing things. Let me do that. Let me get that. And uh, the point of the book, and the book, the book is refreshing because it's what can happen sometimes is somebody fluent in the language of words is with somebody fluent in the language of service. And so their expressions of love disconnect. You know, so I, I tell you I love you all the time. I don't hear that. Well, look at all I do for you. See, I'm fluent in the language of service. And you understand the language of words. So I'm saying I love you in a dialect that you don't understand. That can happen. And that's why the book is helpful, not only to understand the language you speak, but the language you understand. And you can see that if you don't know that, 
You don't recognize love from one another. The same dynamic exists spiritually. We are fluent in different languages that communicate love. And I'm not just talking now about five. There's a number of spiritual gift lists in the Bible. They don't all match up because it's not quantifying. There's a number of different things. But, well, look what the, I'm going to read the passage again that Mark read last week. We have different gifts, different love languages, according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, one gift is prophesying, somebody who speaks for God. And again, that might not seem loving, but within the parlance of heaven it is. To hear the truth about God is a loving act. And some of you who have this, you're good at telling the truth, and it might not feel loving, but it is an expression of love. Again, it's good that not everybody has it. Would be If it is serving, let him serve. Communicate love by serving. They're the first people to raise their hand. Let me get that. Let me do that. Where does this go? Where does that go? It's a way to communicate love. The nice thing is, God understands it that way. God understands it. That when you speak for him, when you serve, it goes on. It says, if it is teaching, let him teach. Mark talked last week about being the gift of teaching. And he talked about that that's his natural bent. Is Let me explain to you how this worked relative to this or that. He's a good teacher. And that's not always seen as love, but it is love. Because that capacity was given by God to provide direction. See, God is the one that gives each of you a language that you communicate love by. And if he gives it to you, here's a question. Is it his will that you do it? Again, I'm not putting a load on here. We have to talk about that, about why you would do it. But does that make sense? That if you were thinking about what's God's will for me, it would involve stewarding the gift you've been given, right? Again, I'm not putting this big, heavy, this, if, if you got the big, heavy thing, forget it. Because it's not only what you do, but why you do it. That's what Paul will say. You've got to be rooted in the mercy of God. If it's, oh, okay, I'll serve, forget it. Forget it. It's why you do what you do, not just what you do with him. And we'll talk about how that works. Um, if it is encouraging, let him encourage. Some people are really good at noticing people that are down. And they naturally go up to people, hey, you know what, I just wanted you to know that, geez, I've been thinking about you. And, um, yeah. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. Some people are gifted with the gift of making money and giving it. It doesn't feel like much of a gift for those who have this gift because they say, all I can do is give money. But when you put your finger on the pulse, they really are expressing because I care about this. And God gives some people that gift. If his leadership, let him govern diligently. God calls some people to give direction. And that's how you understand this is diverse, isn't it? But what ties all these things together? They're love languages given by God to be used in serving. Now, there's one person that had all of these gifts, and his name was Jesus. Jesus had all of them. None of us is Jesus. Together, though, together, 
I would dare say we, not in the same intensity, but we will express all the gifts together. Because that's why God puts us in the body of Christ. That's why the church is the body of Christ. Teachers, givers, encouragers, servers. Jesus. Jesus shows up when his children come together, steward the gifts that they've been given. Um, If it's showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. The problem is, we don't all have the same gift. And that leads to two problems. Some of us have inferiority complexes. Oh, I could just do this. What's your gift, serious? And we tend to see some gifts as better and some gifts as worse. Who gives the gifts? And does God seem some as more a communication of love than others? No, he doesn't. Gift of serving you serve, guess who's smiling? He is. And he's the audience. Uh, sometimes we get not inferiority complex, but superiority complexes. And we tend to judge other people by our gifts. Well, I see that you're not very hospitable. And you know what the deal is? It's not your deal. We can judge others by our gift. Assume that everyone should do what we do. We have to get the leadership. We look at organizations. And we understand why they're running around in circles. And we think, we tend to judge by our gifts. And so that's a judgment. Yeah, and what the deal is, um, God gives different gifts. And we are not to judge somebody because they don't speak our gift. And we're not to allow them to judge us because we don't speak theirs. Love is not an emotion biblically. It's active involvement in the lives of others. Uh, The problem is that they can be used selfishly. This is what was happening in Corinth. Spiritual gifts existed not to serve others, but to make the person giving it feel good. Let's think about a think about an apple tree. I used to have an apple tree until I pruned it. Somebody told me because it was all over the place. They said, "Cut everything that goes straight up in the air." I said, "Okay." And so I did that. And by the time I was done, the tree looked like this. And then I said, I did that. And then they said, you didn't cut the Cambrian, did you? What's that? It's the center part of the tree. You know, that you don't cut that part, Mike. And so anyway, if you look in the backyard right now, you will not find apple trees. They have gone the way of all apple trees. But there is good news at this time of the year. Bees would always hide in the apples. And so now I don't have any more bees. So that's good. Had a very helpful story. Aren't you glad to know that? Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. That, that's wonderful. No, wait, the reason, my point was, yeah, yeah. That's your point. When we had an apple tree, amazing thing to watch that apple tree. You know, why I watched it. So every, time, every once in a while, what you'd see, you know, the branches that went out when they went out. They had fruit. Have you ever seen this? The bark opens up. You ever seen this happen? And 
the branch bends in towards itself. You ever see this from an apple tree? The branch bends in towards itself, and the apple goes into the bark, and it chews it. Have you, you ever seen that in a tree? It eats its own apples. <laughs> that doesn't happen, Mike. Similar thing with gifts. Gifts don't exist for us, not for us to consume. Gifts exist for others, for them to consume, for them to appreciate, for them to taste. That tastes like Jesus. Gifts benefit others. That's the what of love. Loving gifts, introspect. Let's talk about the how. Integrity is a lack of hypocrisy, internal consistency. Where does it come from? How can we love non-hypocritically? All of us deal with hypocrisy. And so when it talks about stewarding gifts, none of us do so perfectly. You know, we're like that tree. We need to be recognized. And if we're not recognized for what we do, sometimes we get petulant. Well, I'm not going to serve you. We all deal with stuff like that. Or we serve and we do what the Pharisees used to do. And when, they, they used, when they gave, which was a good thing, they used to have people ring bells so that they could be serving and ring and so and then people could see. And you know what Jesus ends up saying about that? Take a good look if that's why you serve. Jesus was very direct. If you do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men, take a picture and put it on the wallpaper of your computer because that's probably the smile that you're going to get. If you look up into heaven, you're not going to get a smile. It's not about, you know, so it's, again, is God pleased? Yeah, but the reason why you serve is not to, I hope you're seeing this. (laughs) Yeah, this is me serving washing feet. doesn't work that way. And that's why when we look at the how of love, how do you, how do you serve non-hypocritically? And this is where Paul helps us, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. Offer your bodies. You offer your body before you offer your gifts. It's really not choosing to serve. It's choosing to be a servant. There's a difference there, isn't it? The difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. Let me see. Am I going to serve you or not? That's choosing to serve. If I choose to be a servant, I've already identified myself as a servant, and I'll serve because that fulfills that. And that's what it says. Offer your bodies in view of God's mercy. And we'll talk about that. Um, this is your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual is logical, reasonable. This is the thing you do because you worship. You know God, you figure out his mercy, and as a response, the response to that is, God, here is me, everything that I am, everything that I have. Reveal yourself to and through me. Help me to do the things that you've equipped me to do, which would be give. I give myself to you. I bet you we can think of, I can think of times in my life where I've done that. Not just once, but 
pivotal moments. I bet you you could think of some. If you haven't, I think it's a good thing, a necessary thing. Give him yourself. And again, we'll talk about why. God, here I am. All that I am, all that I have, because of your mercy, I offer myself to you. Make me the man or woman you want me to be. I can think of times I've done that. Important times. Directional times. Times that things ended up happening afterwards. But it has to be willing. I'm not going to get up here with a big finger and say, you better give it. No. No. Don't go forward at things like that. If somebody guilts you into giving yourself to God, don't go. Not guilt. It's got to be willing. You have his mercy. Give yourself to Nothing in his hands is violated, treated with disrespect, taken for granted. If you want to be saved, put yourself in God's hands. Those are good hands. Good hands. In fact, says, I will never leave or forsake you. He'll never let his hands drop by his side relative to you. Um, says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world which tends to be force oriented be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will his good pleasing and perfect will here's thoughts thoughts should be below the level they're where the root system goes there's thoughts are the thoughts about God leads to attitudes, responses to what you think about God. See, that's the deepest thing. What do you think about God? That's thoughts. Attitudes are responses to God's will because of the thoughts. And then actions are the result of the thoughts and attitudes. So if you're going to have the right actions... You need to have the right attitudes. If you're going to have the right attitudes, you've got to have the right thoughts. And that's what it says. In view of God's mercy and God's love, if the roots of your faith are down into God's mercy and love, the fruit will be love. If the roots are down into fear and judgment, the roots will produce actions. And it won't be wholehearted. It won't be, it won't be right. It'll be... Okay, I guess I have to. He's got me in a corner. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Somebody told you that. It's not true. God doesn't. He's merciful. He really is. He's safe. And as we come to see that, it's easier to give ourselves to him. Some of you, when I said give yourself to God, froze. That's okay. Keep coming back. Really, things don't change overnight. We'll continue to tell you things about love and mercy. You know why? Because thoughts affect attitudes, and attitudes affect actions. And what God wants from you is you, freely given, serving others. And that can't be forced. So you keep coming back. 
get these things about you better serve God or else, turn the radio off. Watch out. Sacred programming. Watch out. You'll weave threads that will not lead to the fruit that God desires. Won't. Biblical writers are unanimous on the fact that it really is about motive. James, Paul, John, people who are very different. Peter, we're going to close by reading this portion here. Um, It says in 2 Peter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Through what? He has given you his very great and precious so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If you want to participate in God's nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, what do you need to grab onto? Promises. This isn't stuttering. Again, the reason why I get kind of exercised is some people think that are afraid of cheap grace. Don't be too acceptance-oriented. He wants willingness. And you can't frighten anybody into giving themselves wholeheartedly. It just doesn't work. See, you and I, we don't judge one another by motives, but God does. Don't be frightened into serving him. Coming back. Love and mercy. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God. This is your spiritual form of worship. It's rooted in mercy and rooted in love. It's going to change your attitudes. It's going to change your actions. The way it works, that's what he's saying. He's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, right? Through them. You participate in the divine nature. Through them, you escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do we have to escape the corruption in the world? Yes. How? Promises. That's what it says. It goes on. For this very reason, make every effort. Try hard. Really, this is effort. The the word is speed. Run at this. So there's effort. But the effort comes on the far side of grabbing promises. If promises are in your hand, go forward. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. To goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Isn't that interesting? Self-control isn't first. Isn't that interesting? Halfway down the list. 
Oh, what the most important thing that I need to be is self-controlled. No, it isn't. The most important thing that you need to do is have faith in his promises. Faith leads to goodness. Goodness leads to self-control. And you know where this is going to end up, don't you? Doing things out of? That's where it's going to end up. Look at look what he says. Self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got these lists, if you've got these things growing, you are going to be effective and productive. You won't be able to stop it. Okay, now don't look down. Don't look, don't, don't look at the passage. If you don't possess these qualities, what's wrong? Don't look. How would you answer that question? You don't possess these qualities. What do you need? You need a good kick in the pants. That's what you need. You need a good finger in your face. That's what, I wonder what the passage is going to say. Okay, now let's read it. If anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Show me a person who's hiding his gift underneath his feet in the ground, and I'll show you a person that is so obsessed with his sins that he cannot look at the face of his father. That's the problem. You know what nearsightedness is? Let's say, I just learned about this God stuff, let's say. I see forgiveness. Oh, that's great. Isn't forgiveness wonderful when you first got it? felt clean. You know what ends up happening over time? See, I'm nearsighted. So now, this is pretty clear. Up. Oop. Now it's getting fuzzy. Do you know what this is? Forgiveness. When forgiveness gets fuzzy, you know what you're going to do? Let me give you a hint. It won't be use your gifts, and it won't be love. You start protecting yourself, pulling in the tent, isolating, forcing, being self-serving. Again, and if you didn't want to do that, grab his promise. One of the, the promise that you grab is the promise of forgiveness. Does that lead you to be able to look at him, not just your sin? You guys, God takes sin seriously. Yeah, he does. But God wants more from you than you would stop sinning. <gasps> you know what he wants you to do? Love people and serve them. And you know what you'll find? If you love and serve people, you end up not falling into the sin of Sodom. You understand? They were overfed, arrogant, unconcerned. They wouldn't deal with the poor and the oppressed. That was the reason for their sexual perversion, I think. Now, again, I'm not, but I think this is what happens. We end up fiddling as Rome burns, trying to fill our lives with mood-altering things. And the reason why we might need to be mood-altered is because we're not doing what we're meant to do. 
We're not doing what we've been birthed to do. And we're bored and sad. We feel empty, useless. That's you. Mercy. God would come toward you in that in love, and He would say, I know. I know. And I want you to know right where you are, even if you feel useless, I will not love you if you become more useful. Because then it would be about your merit rather than my mercy. If you become more useful to God, He will not love you anymore. And if you start to believe and understand that, it will turn you inside out. It will. It takes time. So what am I going to say? Coming back. It changes your heart. It's the way it works. How does God channel this power? Through promises. The path of righteousness begins with faith in God's promises. The will of God begins at the same place. Um, when the Bible says, believe in the promise of forgiveness, um, yeah, Peter links fuzziness with respect to forgiveness with the reason why we don't add faith, goodness, into goodness, virtues, and we end up short of love because we can't really see someone clearly if all I can see is my sin. Now I'm looking at Brian but I'm focusing on this penny and when I'm focusing on this penny, Brian is fuzzy. I don't know what he needs. He could be asking me for someone. I can't see it. I'm too focused on sin. Are you so focused on sin that you really can't see anybody else? so busy with your hand on your spiritual pulse that you have no hand to reach out to anybody because you're too busy feeling your spiritual pulse to see if you're spiritual or not. Get your hand off your pulse. Grab a promise. Promise of forgiveness. Give yourself to him. God, I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to be useful. I want to be useful. The what of love is spiritual gifts, love languages. The how is the mercy and love of God and the promise of forgiveness. The worship team, come on up. I like this story because it kind of puts it together. I've told it before. Um, Corey Tenboom, she was uh, at Auschwitz, the prison camp, and she lived through that experience and became someone who spoke about forgiveness and God and connecting with him. She was doing a kind of a meeting in Germany. And one of the things that happened when she was in Auschwitz, the women were herded into the de-lousing showers to get the lice off, and the guards would <laughs> ogle them and treat them disrespectfully, horribly. And so she remembered the faces of these guards. I suppose you would because it was printed in her brain. Anyway, so she's doing this meeting, and she finishes the meeting, and then she's greeting people, and then she sees a face 
guy coming up the aisle. And he gets towards her, and he says, and it was one of the guards. Isn't it wonderful how God forgives us, Fräulein? And she was stuck. Started to accuse and defend. I don't have to shake this guy's hand. But you should. You're a Christian. You have to forgive him. Anyway, this is what she did. Really good. This is where the what and the how come together. Father, forgive me. I can't forgive. You know what happened? Self-forgiving. Back out of the hand. The what of love and the how. I pray for us, Father. Thank you for your purposes, your fact that you are a good father and you're a good king. As a father, you're loving and caring, and as a king, you're noble. You would have us be involved with you in what you are doing. That doesn't just touch us. It touches others. A noble plan. You give us gifts so that we can be part of it. So continue to help us with that and root, help us to be rooted. That's where the rear begins in your mercy and love. That's where growth comes from. Thank you. We have written records. And we have the life and the death of Jesus historical reality that points to your love. Pray we'd understand it more clearly so that we could become useful. In Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, Mariah's birthday. Happy birthday, Mariah. Uh, oh.